Greetings, everyone. Welcome to D Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now I coach others on their plant-based journey. Just has voice. Let's welcome our guest. An experienced cat and dog veterinarian, Andrew Knight is professor of animal welfare and ethics and founding director of the University Winchester Center for Animal Welfare and adjunct professor in the School of Environment and Science at Griffith University, Queensland. Please click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, Professor Knight. Greetings and welcome, Professor Knight. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. Oh, we are truly excited to have you. You're a distinguished PhD expert in the realm of vegan diets for dogs and cats. Now, human diseases such as cancer, kidney, liver, obesity, heart failure, they're far more common than they should be. But these same diseases occur far too often with our animal companions. Now, my green warriors, they know that when it comes to factors contributing to diseases in humans, it is often the food. <laughs> so shouldn't it follow that we consider what our dogs and cats are eating, and maybe that could be affecting their health. So green warriors, whether you're a devoted pet owner or simply curious about pet health and diets, I know that Professor Knight is definitely going to enlighten us. And we're so glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Uh, you're right about these diseases being more common in our dogs and cats than they should be. Uh, certainly when I was uh, in clinical veterinary practice for nearly a decade, uh, mostly around London, we were seeing uh, so many uh, cases of animals being uh, overweight or obese or suffering from all sorts of uh, preventable problems, um, very often associated with diet. Um, so uh, you're right about those uh, problems uh, being prevalent in people um, attributed to our diets. Uh, the same, unfortunately, is true for our dogs and cats. Uh, the diets that we feed have a, a big bearing on uh, health outcomes for the animals and, and many of the problems that they uh, experience seem to be uh, quite preventable with better dietary choices. Okay, well... What we like to do on this show is we have a game called True or False. And I'm going to start that off and we'll see what our Green Warriors have to ch chime in about. It's time for True or False on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer true or false to Amy's questions in the comments below. And Amy will ask our guest for the expert answer. Okay. Well, first of all, let's just talk a, a little bit about the commercial pet experience as far as the animal-based foods. So here's a question, true or false, pet food with the phrase, only the highest quality ingredients are used, means quality meat products form the bulk of the ingredients. Green Warriors, what do you think the answer is? And as they're typing that answer in, Professor Knight, can you chime in about that? I can do. Do you want me to give away the answer or should Thank I you. wait? No, that's fine. They're <laughs> typing it in. It's not, nobody's getting graded. So it's more for fun. No prizes today. All right. Uh, that's, that's, yeah. Um, so a lot of the meat uh, ingredients are actually byproducts from the uh, slaughtering industry, um, byproducts of the human um, food production system. So they are the cuts of meat, which are considered to be of lesser quality, uh, and also so-called 4D animals, animals that arrive at the slaughterhouse that are uh, dead, dying, disabled, or diseased, the 4Ds, um, and hence considered to be unfit for human consumption. A lot of those will uh, unfortunately uh, find their way into the pet food chain uh, in order that the uh, processing plants can make a little bit more money from those carcasses. There is a saying within the uh, meat industry that... Um, everything is used except for the squeal uh, of an animal. So every part of the carcass is is used um, in one way or another and a major use of um, parts not considered to be fit for human consumption is actually the pet food sector. Mm, yes, unfortunately so. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about this commercial um, dog food that has the meat ingredients and we are going to learn more about that and what other ingredients are there. So true or false, ingredients like euthanized pets 
and old or spoiled supermarket meat, often without the removal of styrofoam packaging, which increases labor costs, is labeled as meat, meal, and byproducts. Oh, gosh. Okay, they're typing in their answers. Go ahead, Professor Knight. Yes, there was a survey uh, quite some number of years ago showing that I think all surveyed brands of dog food in the US had detectable levels of euthanizing solution uh, indicating that animals that were being euthanized um, were finding their way into pet food actually. Um, so that'd be primarily euthanized dogs and cats from the pet overpopulation problem in the United States were finding their way into pet food. Um, it was thought that those concerns were uh, outdated, but actually there was uh, further evidence that the problem was persisting in more recent times. So that's um, not good at all. Uh, there have also been reports that things like styrofoam packaging from um, supermarket meat that's being sold for humans um, when it reaches its uh, use-by date uh, is finding its way into the pet food production uh, system and sometimes to um, decrease labour costs, uh, packaging isn't always removed. Uh, there are concerns that things like even flea collars and tags uh, have been ending up in, in pet food as well, unfortunately. So, you know, you would very much hope that these problems are infrequent, but they certainly have been reported uh, in, in pet food in the past in the United States. Oh, wow. Well, I know that a lot of people that are tuning in today are very concerned about the health and welfare of their pet companions. And this may be things that they're hearing for the first time, and it's very disheartening. Okay, well, we're going to continue on. True or false, the processing of pet food involves heat, which kills bacterial contaminants and a pressure system to puff dry foods into nuggets or kibbles, which damages or destroys heat-vulnerable nutrients. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so, so nutrients uh, comprise um, some products which will be fairly uh, invulnerable to uh, high temperatures, pressures, such as minerals, but there are other um, nutritional components which are much more fragile, and those would be things like vitamins uh, and amino acids, the building blocks of proteins, uh, such as taurine, for example. Many people are aware that Taurine is naturally found in meat. Uh, cats have an absolute requirement uh, for it because they, they need it and they can't produce it from other ingredients, whereas dogs can uh, make their own taurine from other ingredients in a diet. So cats have an absolute requirement. Taurine is found in meat. Uh, many people think, therefore, that cats have to eat meat. But what they don't understand is that taurine is one of these fragile nutrients, uh, as are amino acids in general, and it's largely degraded by the high temperatures, pressures uh, of processing of commercial fat food. So by the time the processing is finished, most of the naturally occurring taurine is pretty degraded and has low biological uh, usefulness, uh, hence has to be added back in from a synthetic source. So synthetic taurine uh, comprises most of the taurine in meat-based pet food, and the same synthetic source is also used to, to supplement um, actually vegan pet food as well to ensure that, that is uh, nutritionally uh, complete. So, yeah, uh, these these processing um, temperature pressures and chemical treatments can be a concern and it is really important to be supplementing the product afterwards, whether it's meat-based or whether it's vegan, to make sure that the necessary nutrients are included um, and the naturally occurring ones haven't been largely destroyed by processing. Well, I know that a lot of our watch video watchers and listeners, the audience, they're so concerned about the health and welfare of their animals. And now more and more, we're seeing pets, companion pets, they're, they look overweight. I have a neighbor that their, their poor animal, their dog can barely walk around because it's suffering from arthritis. And these are just things that I don't know if they're happening in the natural world of these animals or if they're just happening in the uh, companion world. Yes, I mean, you're absolutely right. The in increasing prevalence of dogs and cats being overweight and obese uh, is one of the top veterinary healthcare concerns today. And we probably have the majority of our dogs and cats now being overweight or obese. Uh, and 
you um, uh, are well aware, I, I would think that uh, my recent research has been focused on vegan pet food. And one of the interesting things that we're finding across the studies uh, coming out consistently in multiple studies is that dogs and cats on vegan diets actually have less of a problem with being overweight and obese. Uh, they're the prevalence of being overweight or obese lowers, as does associated problems such as mobility uh, reduction and um, musculoskeletal disorders. Um, so they seem to be having a better quality of life, actually, because of this benefit and some other benefits that they have as well. Mm. So it's, it surprises a lot of people that when you include cats in this, there are some people that have heard of the commer commercial uh, pet food that w is formulated for dogs, but not many people are have heard about cats. And I think that that there are probably more people that would think that cats probably were obligate carnivores. So can you talk to the considerations of dogs and cats if they're obligate carnivores? Yeah, I certainly can. Um, I can do even better. Actually, I can read you a little bit from this wonderful book called Obligate Carnivore, which is by Jed Gillen. And he um, talks about uh, cats in particular. And he says, I'm going to read this out. He says, try this experiment. Skip your cat's breakfast one morning and bring him or her to the beach instead. Driven by hunger, what natural instincts might kick in? What are the chances that your cat will splash into the water, swim 50 or miles or so out to the deep ocean and thereby engage a 1,200-pound animal because an adult tuna can be as large as a horse in an underwater battle to the death in order to fulfill the natural feline diet of fish. The idea that fish is a natural food for cats is absurd. Cats are descended from desert creatures and they're notoriously hydrophobic. Have you ever given your cat a bath? So he's uh, clearly making the point that um, the diets that we feed to cats and dogs today comprise assorted body parts from a variety of species that they would never naturally have hunted if they were sort of natural or ancestral cats or dogs along with actually all sorts of unnatural additives. Um, and these might be things like flavorants, preservatives, um, indeed nutritional supplements to try to correct the destruction of nutrients occurring during processing, um, um, humectants, antifungals, uh, antimicrobials, and so on. And these are all packaged up into uh, dry kibble or uh, wet formulations and fed at predictable times daily to our cats and dogs. And of course, this feeding regime bears very little resemblance to any kind of natural uh, diet or natural feeding regime for ancestral dogs or cats. So I think the first thing we need to do is to realise that uh, commercial meat-based pet food and the way in which we feed it uh, is very far removed from anything that's truly natural for dogs or cats. What uh, dogs and cats need biologically is really three things. One is a diet that fulfills all their nutritional requirements. The second is um, that the diet needs to be adequately um, palatable, so the animals are happy to eat the diet. Uh, they're not suffering anyway by being fed the diet. Uh, and thirdly, it needs to be adequately digestible, really, so that it can um, be absorbed into the body and reach the cells within the body. Um, and modern... Um, vegan companion animal diets are now being formulated to try to achieve these three objectives. So in my recent research, I've actually done studies looking at some of these aspects, looking at, for example, how successful are the companies in meeting all of these requirements when they are manufacturing these diets? Um, how happy are the animals when they're eating uh, these different diets? And you can do that via detailed study of their behavior, actually. Um, I have some slides on the, the happiness of animals when eating the different diets. So we studied feeding behaviour of dogs and cats when fed conventional raw meat or vegan diets. And for the dogs one, we had more than 2,300 dogs. So this is by far the biggest study of this kind that's been published in a scientific journal so far. We looked at um, every indicator of palatability, how much they were enjoying their food, that has been described in the scientific literature or that uh, I was aware of as, a, as an experienced veterinarian. Uh, and you can see those here and you'll recognise many of those in your own pets. Uh, do they wolf their food down quickly? Do they rush up to the uh, feed bowl? Do they wag their tail, jump up and down, bark and so on? For the cats, we did the same kind of thing. We had more than 1,100 cats on the three different diets. 
we had uh, 15 indicators of palatability for the cats. And for the, f uh, the first thing we did was we looked at how these um, varied uh, between the different diets. So we asked all these different cat guardians at home how likely their animals were to display all of these different behaviours at their normal mealtimes. And by doing this, we figured out which ones were varying consistently with each other and were able to identify a group of positive indicators and a group of negative indicators and some as being indeterminate. Once we figured out which were positive indicators of how much they were enjoying their meals and which were negative and so on, we looked at how much they varied between the three different diets. And we concluded for the dogs, uh, overall, there was no consistent evidence of any difference between the vegan diets and the other meat-based diets. For the cats, the diets again made little difference, except cats on the vegan diets were licking their food less often. And, and that's a positive sign for the vegan diets, indicating that they were more tasty. Cats on the conventional diets were leaving their food more often. That's a negative sign for the conventional diets. But overall, across all 15 indicators of behaviour in the cats, there was no statistically significant difference. So we published that study in an open access scientific journal, uh, PLOS One, which is one of the biggest ones in the world, um, in 2021. And we concluded that our, our study, which, by the way, concurs with the results of the other studies in the field, which are much smaller than ours, they don't support any views that vegan pet food might have reduced palatability and thus uh, be compromising the welfare of dogs and cats. So unless and until we learn to actually um, ask cats directly and dogs how much they're enjoying their meals, this kind of detailed study of their behaviour at mealtimes is the best that we can do. And by doing that, it very clearly shows that um, they seem to be enjoying the vegan diets as much as the meat-based diets and their welfare is not being harmed in any way. Uh, by feeding vegan diets, providing you ensure that the nutritional needs are also being met. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive that you uh, undertook that study and that is so needed in our community because there really isn't that much research that is out there available for us and that's quite an undertaking. I'm really impressed and I'm, I'm, I'm proud that you shared some of that with us. That's that's just wonderful. Thank you very much. There is a short summaries of, of all my research available, video summaries and the full studies are on my website, uh, which is andrewknight.info. I could put uh, links in uh, the chat column, but I'm not sure if it would go to every everyone. Well, I can put it, if you put it there, I can put it up, then it'll go to everybody. Thank, thank you. Okay. Put it in the show notes as well. All right, then. Thank you. Yeah. So some people are, are concerned about the nutrients. I mean, it's as this, my channel is mostly about humans and going plant-based and health concerns that are related to, to not being plant-based or adopting a plant-based lifestyle. And inevitably as humans who are plant-based vegan, the question arises, where do you get your protein? And, and I thought it would be funny if they had some kind of little mean, you know, with, with uh, a dog, you know, or a cat, questioning another dog or a cat and you know where do you get your taurine or or whatever so how does that all work out with those uh those nutrients uh, like taurine vitamin d i mean i think that there's a distinguish now just that you can distinguish between first let's say uh ingredients and and uh nutrients and then we can talk about what what's needed for these animals I mean, that's absolutely right. Uh, dogs and cats have requirements for uh, specific um, nutrients, um, which varies, of course, with the different species, and the same is true of any species. And no species has, has a requirement for any particular ingredient. Ingredients and nutrients are very much not the same thing. Um, so uh, meat-based uh, pet foods are actually comprised of meat, but also an awful lot of plant material, nearly 50%. Uh, is actually plant source material, uh, as well as minerals, as well as vitamins um, and various uh, supplements uh, added in to ensure nutritional soundness. Uh, modern vegan pet foods are exactly the same, but just without the meat and with more of the other ingredients. So an interesting question is um, how effective are the 
companies at ensuring um, nutritional soundness of the diets and does that vary between the uh, those producing vegan diets and those producing meat-based diets so to test that we conducted um, another study actually um, and I wonder if I can get that up I'll, I'll there we go I'm trying to bring that up now so hopefully you can see that um, whoops we surveyed manufacturers producing meat-based pet foods and vegetarian, vegan, or almost vegan uh, pet foods, and there were 29 companies in total in this survey. And we looked at every step taken during the process of design, manufacture, uh, shipping, and storage to try to ensure nutritional soundness and good quality of the diets. Um, and we looked at things like what kind of expertise was being used in the very beginning. Uh, were they working with veterinary nutritional specialists or just using in-house expertise, for example? Um, how did they try to ensure nutritional soundness? Were they manufacturing to meet nutritional guidelines of authorities or conducting feeding trials? Um, how did they ensure the quality of the ingredients? Were they uh, using paper agreements with suppliers or going out and inspecting manufacturing plants? Were they supplementing with the appropriate nutrients? Um, were they taking steps to preserve the quality of the diets uh, over time and present colonization by bacteria and fungi and so on? Did they monitor for nutrient levels falling over time? Um, did they oversupply to take account for that? Uh, and did they have good protocols for storage and shipping? We found that most companies were doing things fairly well at most stages of the production process. Um, but the ones producing the plant-based diets were slightly better actually overall and we theorize that might be because these diets are um, a bit more new and controversial and when we've actually studied the manufacturing processes we found that the companies producing the um, plant-based pet foods seem to be um, doing things uh, as well as and in fact slightly better than the companies producing meat-based pet foods in terms of all these steps they were taking to try to ensure nutritional soundness and good quality of their uh, pet foods that they were producing. So I don't think that uh, there is a, a general concern. Of course, it's possible for all companies to do things wrong and occasionally uh, there will be problems uh, with nutritional soundness. Um, and that's been found sometimes in previous studies of both meat-based uh, pet foods and also plant-based pet foods. But when you do a, a sort of a larger study and you look at um, what's happening across the board with, with the industry more more widely uh, there isn't a concern indeed the plant-based uh, pet foods seem to be being produced to standards that are actually slightly better than the meat-based uh, pet foods are mm. oh my well oh it looks like we have we had some questions popping up while, while you were out so let's see Deborah wanted to know my dog plant-based is lethargic and shudders frequently not a shiver does Professor Knight know what can cause a shudder from the head and throughout the body? Had full blood tests and saw specialists. And I did also ask uh, Deborah the age of the dog because I thought maybe that might be something that you'd be interested to know. So she said that uh, her dog is eight years old. Yeah. Um, there's a whole range of, of things that could potentially cause that. Um, there's no way any any veterinarian in their right mind would attempt to uh, hazard a guess Uh without actually seeing that animal, uh, looking at all the laboratory results, uh, probably doing further neurological testing, maybe additional tests as well. So uh, that is uh, necessary to, to be asking your veterinarian uh, a question like that. And I see that, that that's been done. Um, I certainly wouldn't be in a position to uh, provide detailed medical advice about any any particular case like that. Right. So. Perhaps maybe she she was concerned that there may be a lack of nutrients in the particular food that she chose. Mm. Would, there, would there be some tests that the, maybe the veterinarian did not do that could help yeah. in determining those things, if to, to at least yeah. out, over, out, out uh, through those things? The first thing is always to check the diet. So some diets are only intended to be uh, as used as treats or snacks and not as a complete diet. Uh, first thing is always check the uh, labelling, make sure that uh, it is a diet that's being intended for use as a complete diet and not just a treat or a snack. Um, it probably will say something like um, the diet is formulated to be nutritionally complete and balanced, um, and it may refer to uh, AFCO guidelines, um, 
So that's the Association of American Feed Control Officials who produce the nutritional standards for pet food in North America. There are similar ones in Europe and other regions. So you want a product that um, clearly states that it is being produced uh, to be a complete diet and hopefully according to nutritional guidelines. Secondarily, you want a company that is a reputable company that hopefully can uh, provide some information about the steps that it is taking to try to ensure nutritional soundness and good quality. If uh, there's nothing on the website, if they won't answer any inquiries, then that should be a red flag uh, and you should be looking for another company. The gold standard is um, sending batches of your product to uh, an independent laboratory for uh, nutritional analysis to make sure that the diet is um, meeting the minimum and maximum uh, nutritional levels published by authorities. This is pretty expensive to do, so companies don't do it on a regular basis, and um, it's very unusual for a company to do that and then publish the results on its website, but occasionally it does happen. So those are the essential steps. Uh, actually look at the diet, uh, look at whether um, it is indeed labelled as being nutritionally complete and not just a treat or a snack, and then does the company seem to be taking good steps to try to ensure nutritional soundness? And if if uh, there's no uh, reassuring information and they won't answer questions, then certainly go for another company. You could also do a blood tests to try and look at bodily stores uh, within the animal for some nutrients, but uh, that's much more specialised, expensive and incomplete. You can't do that uh, or it's very difficult to do for a number of nutrients. So that's not the obvious uh, pathway to be going down. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I thought that maybe that might be what the question may be about, but I'm not sure because I'm sure nobody expects you to do a telemed, <laughs> the dog. Okay, so um, I, oh, well, I just wanted to give her, she said, thanks, my dog is a mixture of different diets with reputable companies and a supplement with whole plant-based sweet potatoes. We'll be seeing vet again shortly. So I just wanted to pop up and let you see. Mm. Thank you for your input. It sounds like uh, the diet's probably not a concern in that case if, yeah. if, if indeed they are being formulated to be nutritionally complete and balanced uh, diets. So do you think that there may be some, um, even with um, some commercial dog foods as far as the meat-based ones versus the plant-based ones, or even with the cat foods as well, are there do you think that there may be some nutrients that might be missing that maybe somebody might want to supplement or what would they yeah think? i mean the first time this um became well understood in recent times i think was probably in the 1960s and 70s when uh it was discovered that a lot of cats seemed to be having problems uh that were being fed uh meat-based pet foods and it was discovered that the naturally occurring taurine in meat was largely being destroyed by the processing, the high temperatures and pressures, uh, and actually the product was taurine deficient, and so the cats were suffering from that because they need to have taurine in their diet. Um, and taurine is naturally found in meat, uh, and to fix the problem, um, synthetic taurine was added in after the processing of uh, the meat-based cat food, and the same synthetic taurine is added into vegan pet food as well. So, you know, there are a whole range of nutrients that both cats and dogs require um, and many of those will not be present in adequate levels after processing and will need to be added in uh, from um, synthetic sources. Uh, so that's true for both meat-based and, and vegan diets and if that's not occurring, then the diet will be nutritionally uh, deficient if it goes through normal processing. Okay. Uh, holistic gradients health network i have a four-year-old cat and i've been wanting solid guidance to transition him he's so obese Ugh. yeah uh so i do have uh on my website which is sustainablepetfood.info there's a summary article which has a guidance on transitioning mm -hmm. but the key steps i think are to try to uh, do it very gradually um if um, a cat has been on a commercial meat-based brand for a long period of time. They may have become almost addicted to the flavorants, which are added to uh, artificially increase the palatability of those diets. They're pretty unpleasant uh, flavorants in some cases. A very common one is digest, which is a soup of partially dissolved entrails, usually intestines from chickens, with various other additives included, which creates a very strong flavor. 
and these are added into commercial meat-based uh, pet foods and the precise flavour uh, depends upon the substrates that are added in uh, and one that's considered to be uh, impart a more um, beefy flavour may uh, turn a can of assorted body parts, miscellaneous body parts from a variety of species into beef stew. Uh, likewise, ocean whitefish may not all be ocean whitefish. It may be um, certain types of flavourings in which, which provide a more fishy kind of uh, a flavour. So cats that have been used to a certain flavourings for a long period of time can become stubborn. Uh, personalities of animals vary quite a lot. Uh, dogs have a reputation for eating first and asking questions later, whereas cats have a reputation for being quite fussy, especially if they're old ones. Um, and it can be difficult. So in this case, uh, a gradual transition, trying to mix a little bit of a new diet in, mostly the old, and mix it up thoroughly. Uh, act by your behaviour as if nothing unusual is occurring and you consider a diet to be just as tasty as as, as uh, always. And in fact, you might eat it yourself if, if they don't uh, eat it <laughs> quick enough. Um, providing fresh food, uh, smelly food, because the sense of smell is really important. Considering uh, additives that may enhance flavour, a little bit of vegetable oil, nutritional yeast, flakes, spirulina, nori flakes. Uh, these are all on my website, uh, sustainablefatfood.info. And the summary article uh, there. So these kind of steps um, have been successful in transitioning the most stubborn of animals in the past um, and it can take a very long time. You could be looking at even six months or more. Um, even if you have a keen animal that doesn't care, one of his enthusiastic dogs, um, I recommend you take a couple of weeks. Nevertheless, um, it will give time for two things to occur. One is the um, digestive enzymes to transition to the new food uh, and the second is for the gastrointestinal bacteria to change to those uh, appropriate for the new food. Both of these are going to decrease the chances of uh, adverse gastrointestinal reactions such as diarrhea uh, from occurring. Mm, interesting. I actually, I, I had a dog that lived for 16 years and then I now have another dog and uh, the first dog that I had, I had very late in life, maybe when she was about 15, I transitioned her over to the, a plant-based diet. And I, I saw some really great results because she was quite lethargic and she uh, had growths on the outside and inside of her. So on the outside, they would do these like pink or red bumps and they were getting larger and larger and more numerous. And then also underneath the, the, the skin, I could feel them. They were soft lumps. And within a couple of weeks after transitioning over, these the, the, the out exterior ones turned black and fell off. And the interior ones were slowly getting smaller. But the best news of all was that she actually started to get a lot more energetic and, and wasn't breathing as heavy. And she was overweight and we didn't really feed her too many, you know, table things, but she did get overweight from the, from the diet. And I think that, that she lost the weight and I think that she lasted another year, which I didn't, I didn't, it didn't seem like she would live that much longer because she was so ill at health. So if you want to talk to about the commercial dog food, the meat-based ones at least, if somebody like me who fed my dog, that commercial-based food didn't really give too many table scraps other than if I was maybe cutting up some raw vegetables, my dog would come running because she'd hear the, the cutting board and I'd throw a little piece of carrot or something like that. But I did not indulge my dog other than the, the food. How did that happen? Um, yes. So on my website, sustainablepetfood.info, if you click on health, you'll see the published studies of health outcomes in dogs and cats. And there are now um, 10 studies uh, in dogs and two studies in cats that have looked at groups of animals, sometimes really large numbers, you know, well over a thousand animals. Um, and there's a couple of benefits that are coming up consistently across multiple studies. And one of them seems to be that um, animals on nutritionally sound vegan pet foods have lower problems with being overweight and obese. There seems to be a reduction of overweight and obesity, uh, along with associated problems, in particular mobility disorders and musculoskeletal disorders. So these are benefits that seem to be associated with each other and have come up across not one study but multiple studies. Another one seems to be um, 
lack of exposure to animals sourced allergens in the diet because they're not consuming any beef, uh, pork, uh, fish, chicken, and, and so on. They seem to be having lower rates of um, things that can be caused by animal allergens, dietary allergens, in particular itchy skin, ear canal problems, um, inflamed uh, skin, uh, and gastrointestinal reactions as well. So you've mentioned that your, your cat um, lost some weight. That's a common finding uh, and had a, a resolution of skin problems. That's also a common finding. Something I've also seen reported is um, increased um, energy and uh, vitality. You know, that, that may be um, a product of um, reaching a healthier body weight and being less overweight, actually. Um, so... I'm not surprised to hear uh, you mention those benefits. They have been reported in multiple of these studies and some of these differences are coming up as being statistically significantly different for animals on vegan diets. There haven't been any disadvantages, any health disadvantages, which have come up in more than one study for animals on vegan diets. But there has been this, this set of uh, health benefits that have consistently come up in more than one study for animals on vegan diets, one set relating to a lower body weight and the other set relating to lack of exposure to um, dietary allergens, particularly animal-sourced allergens in the diet. Mm. Well, I'm glad that uh, I ran across that. I, I was not – I myself have been – plant-based since 2012 so when i first uh adopted my animal i wasn't on that lifestyle and i wasn't even familiar with it so then when i saw all these health concerns i decided to do that make that change and i'm really glad that i did and i'm glad that my dog that i have now that i have him on this diet and and just as your studies showed he is very keen to <laughs> eat the food that i provide and and even I can use it for training even. I can, you know, so it's 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 apparently high enough value because he's going to do all sorts of tricks for, for the food and really enjoys that. Fantastic. So I hope I'm pronouncing Eans correctly. I'm currently feeding my dog a manufactured vegan diet. However, I'm interested in cooking my own. Is there anywhere in the UK where I would be able to buy dog supplements? Yeah. Um there are so many companies that have come into this space now. I have an, an incomplete, not up-to-date list uh, at sustainablepetfood.info, um, list of suppliers in different regions of the world. Uh, might be possible to source uh, supplements from some of those. In fact, I'm sure it is. Um, there have been a series of studies looking at the nutritional soundness of home-cooked diets, finding that even when people are following recipes and even when these are manufactured by experts at home, uh, it's very common that these are not nutritionally sound. So I don't recommend that people do that because it's too easy to get this wrong, even if you're an expert. Um, I recommend that people use a product from a company that hopefully is working with experts such as veterinary nutritionists to ensure nutritional soundness and is taking good steps to to do this, um, as I mentioned before, um, it's it's much uh, safer. It's also much quicker and easier to do. It does cost uh, uh, more than home cooking probably. And people might be concerned about the cost of these diets. I haven't done any kind of a study to compare average cost of these diets with average cost of meat-based diets. But what I do know is that um, veterinary treatment is expensive and, um, and there are lower rates of veterinary healthcare problems for animals on uh, nutritionally sound vegan diets. Uh, in our latest research, we've quantified what are the reductions in risks of getting various illnesses on vegan diets. And there are some pretty big reductions in risk for various diseases. Um, and certainly in general health status for cats and dogs, there seem to be reductions across the board as well. Um, in particular, that translates to less use of medications, less numbers of visits to veterinarians. Um, and both of those are probably going to save more money than any price difference in the food, to be honest. So 
when people are thinking about cost, they also need, I think, to be thinking about the cost of veterinary care by choosing diets that the evidence shows are more or less likely to require veterinary care. Mm -hmm. And of course, I, I, I think that for, in my case, it extended uh, her life. And I think that, that having a better quality food would probably extend a dog or a cat's life. And that's always the most heart-wrenching part of the of being a pet guardian is when the end of life comes and all you can think of in your mind is if there was anything that I could do at this moment to extend not just the life but the quality of life for my pet companion, I would do it, right? Absolutely, and um, the really exciting studies have come out looking at duration of lifespan on the different diets from... Uh, Dr. Dodd and colleagues at Guelph Vet School in Canada. Um, and Dr. Dodd is a veterinary nutritional specialist um, and has done a series of studies looking at um, health outcomes for dogs and cats on vegan diets, as, as I have and other people have. And uh, with respect to the cats, um, she looked at the uh, life expectancy of previously owned uh, cats on different diets and it looked like if you looked at the lifespan curves, it looked like the cats were living longer on vegan diets, but this difference wasn't statistically significant. So it could have just been sort of random biological variation in that sample. She did the same thing with dogs. It looked like the dogs were living on vegan longer on vegan diets. And this time it was statistically significant. So it wasn't just random variation in sample. There was a real biological difference that was occurring there. It's, um, as far as we could tell. And in fact, the dogs on the vegan diets were living one and a half years longer on average than the dogs that were fed meat. Now, um, in the uh, veterinary world, we have rules of thumb about how um, much one year of a dog's life equates to a, a human's uh, life. And for one and a half years longer for a dog, that's around about an extra decade of life at the end of a lifespan for a human being. So we know that these dogs, if they're fed nutritionally sound vegan diets, are living something like an extra decade. And on top of that, it's not just quantity, it's quality because they are suffering less from um, being overweight and obese and having mobility disorders and musculoskeletal problems and also itchy skin, ear canals, um, gastrointestinal problems, so things that cause discomfort. So their quality of life is improved and their quantity of life is something like an extra decade at the end of one of our lifespans. So that's that's hugely uh, important. Oh, yes, it is hugely important. And it's it's so so nice to know because you really, they can't speak for themselves and you just really want to help them. As, and you were a practicing veterinarian, so I'm sure that you ran across quite a few people bringing in their pet companions and just really wanting to do anything they could to relieve them their pain or extend their lives so this is just such great news i often come across people who have had to go through so much when they're having their pet companion on a meat-based diet where they say oh well my vet said i have to switch to this from this particular animal chicken to beef or to pork or and, and i've even seen people who have gone to the extent of the only thing that their dog can now eat is kangaroo meat so it keeps it kept changing where they would have they would do okay then they would get a terrible reaction and they would have to keep changing over well what is that all about and and how is that helpful to do a, a vegan diet yeah um so clearly those animals are suffering from dietary allergens or they suffer um, they have an intolerance or an allergy to something in the diet and uh, that's clearly the animal sourced ingredients. Obviously, vegan pet food excludes all of those. When we do the uh, large-scale studies looking at hundreds or thousands of animals, we find there are lower rates of uh, problems associated with, with these and that is lower rates of itchy skin in dogs, which is most commonly how they um, express uh, a dietary intolerance to something have lower rates of itchy skin, which is a pretty unpleasant uh, condition in dogs. Uh, for, for humans, we um, often suffer from hay fever. We have a reaction to things in our environment. We get our runny uh, noses and eyes and we sneeze. For dogs, it tends to be uh, inflamed skin. It tends to be uh, itchy, red, um, uh, uncomfortable. You'll see them chewing out their paws and their bellies will become redder. 
uh, and so on. So it can be very uh, unpleasant for them. Um, and by taking out the source of the problem, the problem tends to go away. So we see on the vegan diets uh, that they have uh, lower rates of uh, these problems and also ear canal problems, which is associated with having inflamed skin um, and lower rates of gastrointestinal problems as well, uh, which can be associated with uh, intolerances in the food as well. So uh, it certainly makes sense to me uh, that um, eliminating those dietary hazards but continuing to supply all necessary nutrients is likely to produce better health outcomes. And indeed, that's what we're seeing in, in some of the studies. Okay, so I wanted to address this so that it wouldn't come as a surprise for some people because it was my experience when uh, converting over to the plant-based diet with my companion animals that there was a significant uh, change in the amount of times that they eliminated. So can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, there, there was a study that actually looked at um, things surrounding defecation in dogs and cats. Um, that was recently published by uh, Professor Davies, who's a veterinary nutritional specialist in the UK, looked at dogs that uh, transitioned onto a vegan diet and what the benefits were. They were broadly in line with what I've described. Uh, there were lower rates of gastrointestinal problems, uh, along with um, various other benefits for dogs on nutritionally sound vegan diets. I can't recall off the top of my head whether sort of defecation increased or decreased, to be honest, but... Um, you know, things that are studied are uh, frequency, uh, looseness of the stool, um, odour, and you know, things like unpleasant odours can decrease, actually, on uh, nutritionally sound vegan diets. Um, in general, I think there are benefits in that area. If, if you want to read what those are, you know, you would need to look at the study. So that's found at uh, my website, sustainablepetfood.info. If you click on health, uh, you'll find all the canine studies there. So it's the one by uh, Davies uh, from last year. Yeah, I had noticed a, a definite improvement in, in the odor for the breath, as mm -hmm. well as the coat odor. There's just, it's, it's really, you know, only, only if the, 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 the dog needs a bath because it's been a week or two, but otherwise it's, it's so much more pleasant. And because and some of the dogs at least the dogs that i've had experience with the, the breath has been just awful and then you know but with these dogs it seems when they're on this diet that breath is just just neutral there's not really any any foul odor or anything so yeah definitely let's see deborah davies want to know k2 has been identified as a vitamin of concern lacking in a human vegan diet has this been looked at for plant-based dogs it's not something that i've come across okay yeah, so it seem, seems like the, the taurine was mostly what was of concern so far that we that we have seen. Okay. Yeah, taurine is the one that many people have heard of and are aware of and has been addressed. Yeah. Okay, and Andy said, how do I talk to my vet about feeding plant-based food to my dog? Hmm. Probably um, the um, best way is to, I suppose, understand that there has been a history of feeding unconventional diets of all kinds to dogs and cats. Many of these have been nutritionally unsound. Animals have suffered as a result. So vets are understandingly uh, cautious and sceptical about anything that's an unconventional diet. Um, so understand, I guess, where they're coming from. And then the key things, I think, would be to point out that the study is nutritionally sound uh, to show them that uh, it's packaged and labelled as being nutritionally complete and balanced and formulated to meet nutritional uh, guidelines of authorities. Uh, perhaps uh, summarise any steps the company is taking to ensure that nutritional soundness will die. But better than that, I think, would be to provide them with some evidence. So uh, vets are meant to be evidence-based. So there are, as I say, 10 studies now on the website, uh, sustainablepetfood.info, under health, 10 studies of health outcomes in groups of dogs, sometimes quite significant populations of, you know, our study was more than 2,500 dogs. Um, there are two studies in cats. Those are the sorts of studies that um, basically provide the evidence about uh, what is the health of animals on these diets. So vets should be uh, willing to pay attention to them. 
Um, vets are not going to have the time to read full studies normally, but they should have the time to look at an abstract or two, which is the short summary on the front page. So it can be a good idea to just print off the front page, take um, those in uh, to the vet and say, well, there are 10 studies now of health outcomes in dogs. Here's one of the most recent or important ones. Uh, and they seem to be consistently showing health outcomes at least as good and in some cases better for uh, dogs on vegan diets, providing the diets are nutritionally sound. If they won't listen to that, give up and find another vet, one that is more open to considering scientific evidence as all vets ought to be. Yeah, it, it almost seems like the advice that you're giving is kind of paralleling what humans are experiencing when they're adopting the lifestyle. So and I think some, some humans are, are apprehensive about sharing the fact that they are that they are have uh, adopted this lifestyle, but I think it's pretty critical that you probably should share it with your vet. So. Yeah, um, you should. Uh, it's, you know, con contrary to sort of good practices as a pet guardian to withhold important information from your medical uh, specialist. Um, but as I say, the things that are important uh, are, is the diet nutritionally um, sound? Uh, is it uh, labelled as being such? What information is there to demonstrate that that's true? Uh, and what is the evidence of health benefits from studies? Uh, one thing that um, scientists particularly like is systematic reviews. That's a kind of a research study where you search for all other studies uh, which are relevant to the research question. There has just been a systematic review published looking at health outcomes in dogs and cats uh, on plant-based diets which looked at all the other studies um, so far. And you can find that in the same location on the uh, on my website, sustainablepetfood.info under health. Uh, and that one, the authors have clearly concluded that uh, there seem to be multiple studies showing uh, no evidence of harm and some evidence of benefit from the use of these vegan diets. Therefore, um, people should be open to using them actually. So again, printing out perhaps the, the abstract, uh, pointing out that it's a systematic review, uh, which uh, I think is in the study title anyway, um, or, or bringing some of the other uh, key abstracts along and just giving them to your vet uh, might be a way to go. This is a very interesting and controversial area, so vets might genuinely be interested in reading uh, this kind of information uh, regardless of your particular animal actually so there is a fair chance that, uh, a very busy vet with no time might make the time to have a quick look at an abstract in this area well you know besides health there are ethical and environmental concerns that may often drive people towards plant-based diets for themselves so how can these considerations extend to the diets of their companion animals yeah um, absolutely. This is a really important area. Um, we know that around about a third of all greenhouse gases produced by human activity come from the food sector, and in particular about 20% come from the livestock sector, based on the best recent studies in uh, Nature Food Journal. Um, now, there was a study by Ocken, who was a scientist at University of California, Berkeley, published in 2017, looking at the environmental impact of pet food. And he concluded that at least a quarter, probably more, of the impacts of the livestock sector are actually due to pet food. If we go to the lower end of that and just say a quarter, and we apply that to 20% of all greenhouse gases come from the livestock sector, and if a quarter of that's due to pet food, then we know that at least 5% of all greenhouse gases uh, are coming from the, from the pet food sector, actually, or 5% of all greenhouse gases generated by human activity. The entire transportation sector uh, produces something like 13.5%. And there are armies of people working on uh, more sustainable transportation. If we have something that produces 5%, therefore there should be armies of people working on, on this as well. But actually the number of people working on this globally is myself and a tiny other, a number of other people doing studies here and there. There have now been just a small number of studies looking at the uh, dialogue, sorry, the, the dietary ecological paw print of dogs and cats. 
concluding that it's actually really significant. Um, so we ought to be giving much more attention to this area than we have done to date. Probably the most exciting study I've done so far um, is currently under review by a scientific journal and I actually calculated what would the benefits be for environmental sustainability if the world's dogs, cats and, and humans all went on to nutritionally sound vegan diets. Turns out that there are vast numbers of additional people you could feed with the food energy savings. You would save vast numbers of uh, animals from slaughter each year. You would save vast amounts of greenhouse gases, land use, water use, fossil fuels, pesticides and fertilisers uh, if dogs, cats and, and humans are all transitioned. Most of the benefit would come from transition of human diets, but really substantial benefits would also come from the transitions of dogs in particular. Um, there are some studies that have shown that dogs consumers, or well, an average, a medium-sized dog in particular, uh, consumes as much animal produce, um, has the same sort of dietary um, footprint as an average consumer in Japan, an average human being in Japan. Of course, this is going to vary from country to country. Um, a large breed dog will consume more. Small breed dog will consume less. A cat will consume less. But certainly for a medium-sized dog, the impact could be equivalent to that of an average person in terms of uh, livestock uh, produce consumption. So it's a really important area. Um, stay tuned for certainly my um, forthcoming study, which will quantify exactly how big are those benefits in all of those different areas but they're really substantial and we've been wrong to assume that uh, the impacts of the livestock sector are all due to human consumption actually an awful lot of it is due to pet food and this is after accounting for the effects of um, byproducts of um, slaughtering for human consumption and byproducts going into pet food, pet food. It, it also accounts for all of that and yet the picture is still, as I've described, the impacts of the pet food sector are still really enormous. So there's a compelling environmental reason to consider vegan pet food, as well as um, the fact that the health is equivalent or actually better, and the lifespans can sometimes be longer for animals on nutritionally sound vegan pet food. Yeah, it's a win-win-win for everyone, and I'm so glad that you were here to to enlighten us about this. I really wanted to thank you, Professor Knight. Your expert and thoughtful mm -hmm. insights have provided our green warriors with a, a deeper understanding of the benefits of feeding our dog and cat companions a plant-based diet. And I really wanted to thank you for your time and your valuable insights. Everyone, please click like to uh, show your appreciation for what Professor Knight shared with us today. Uh, and I would like, Professor Knight, if you would please tell us about what you do and how people can get in touch with you. Sure. So um, I um, pretty much research this area full time. I'm certainly moving into that now. Uh, and I've got a series of exciting forthcoming studies. And I'm also aware of other forthcoming studies by other researchers. Uh, sometimes I uh, review these for journals before they're published. So I can tell you that the forthcoming studies uh, further reinforce the existing evidence in this field and are consistent with uh, the evidence so far. Uh, as these are published in scientific journals, often open access, meaning freely available on the internet, I'm putting short summaries of all of them up on my website, which is sustainablepetfood.info. Uh, if you click on health, you can find them there. I also add them to my LinkedIn and Facebook um, so look out for the forthcoming ones. They're incredibly exciting uh, and they should um, be wonderful news when they do appear. Oh, well, that's just so wonderful. And, and as you said, there aren't very many people that are uh, doing this. So I'm glad that you're here for, for us to represent the people with, on the planet and also the animals. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for the chance to uh, reach your audience today. Yes. And if you um, I wanted to invite the uh, Green Warriors to type in the comments, what are you going to remember about this broadcast and about what Professor Knight had to say? And I wanted to thank Just Test Voice. She did the promos and the countdown. And Just Test Voice, tell us 
who our Green Warriors are going to be very interested to hear about is coming up next. Are you considering feeding your dog a plant-based diet? Join us as canine nutritionist Diana Lover Durajunets talks about the many benefits of switching dogs to a plant-based diet. Wednesday, August 23rd, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Be Green with Amy Live. Yeah, so it's wonderful that I'm having the two of you back to back. I know that Diana's a very big fan of you, so I'm sure that she's going to be excited to see this broadcast as well. And I wanted to thank, of course, our audience, the Green Warriors and people that have joined us today, because without you, we wouldn't be here. And we really count on you to spread the message of the plant-based lifestyle, not just for humans, but our, for our pet companions to uh, help our world. And as a special thank you, I'm offering you five free recipes for humans, and some of them could be that you could share them with your animal companions. If you just go to begreenwithamy.com slash join, and I'm going to send them to you. And I wanted to uh, encourage everybody to join me with Professor Knight, because we're going to sign off with my tagline. And Professor Knight, you can say the last word, which is green. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Well, until I see all of you guys again, remember, be strong, be well, and be green. green. <laughs> Thank you, Professor Knight. Thank you, Green Warriors. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and be green with Be Green with 